This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com for high-quality dice and accessories. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 303, we're going to have what may be our first ever two-part review as we discuss the Hero's Handbook by Kobold Press. You may notice, first of all, that Tracy is not here, having lost her voice. So joining me is the same team as last time, but without Tracy. Uh, So say hello, Jeremiah McCoy, welcome back. Greetings and salutations. Indeed, and Robert Stoddard, how are you? I'm doing all right. All right, and Quinn Murphy, what's going Hello. on? Uh, not, not much, a lot, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Things are pretty good. All right, good, good, good. So in the last episode, we were reviewing the Heroes Handbook by Cobalt Press. We ended up getting, um, like, 50 pages out of 200 into the book and ended up realizing that, hey, we've been talking for more than an hour. There is no way we're doing all this in one part. So we're going to cut it in half-ish, given that it's a 200-page book and we're 50 pages in. Uh, Try to be cognizant of time and recognizing that like half of the book is spells and we don't have to break down each individual spell. We can sort of hit the highlights and, and discuss them generally. And I think that'll save us a lot of a lot of time, and, and we can wrap it up in, in the second part. Uh, before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com, for their support. They are a dice maker with high-quality standards and a unique product. Today, I'd like to tell you about their metal dice. Uh, but, Jeff, metal dice are expensive. What if I don't like it that much? Ha, ha, ha. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so... Uh, in case you decided to that you don't want to invest in a whole set of metal dies, they actually sell individual metal dies, and so I suggest you just get a get one. And you know, given that we're a D and D podcast, it's probably going to be a D twenty. For less than nine dollars, you can pick up a single metal die of of any of their styles. I recommend the gun metal with whatever color you want because it is a, is a base that really makes the numbers pop. But uh, the others are all pretty good too. I have a silver D twenty from them, uh, and I really like it, and I use it every every session. So then you can find out if you like it or not. Maybe come back and buy the whole set if uh, a whole set if you do. Go ahead and check them out, easyrollerdice.com, and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Oh my, I have to tell you about the great dice I just got. Plated gunmetal dice that will never chip and feel awesome in my hand and come in a sweet case and they're solid and they're heavy and they're awesome and they roll crits and max damage whenever I really need it. Results may not be the same for all gamers. And I store them in this incredible wyvern pattern reversible microfiber dice bag that holds about 5,000 sets of dice while making every single person at the table totally jealous. Number of dice held might be slightly lower for most users, but everyone will be jealous. 
and the dice tray. Let me tell you about the incredible dice tray. It has a leather cover and a lid and it's lined in felt and has this astounding like foil design of a tentacled creature that's going to reach right out and, and, and devour everybody and it has the staging area on the inside so all of the other dice can watch and see what happens when, when the dice that I'm rolling mess up and then when I roll on this thing the GM usually just completely gives up. Your GM well, no. This one holds up. Where did you get all this stuff? EasyRollerDice.com has all of this and more. Check them out today. And when you buy something, let them know that the Tome Show sent you. And we are now back to Hero's Handbook. We have discussed this book at some length uh, last month and uh, cut it in half-ish. And we talked about all the different race options, and that ended up spending, I think, mo- taking up most of our time. Although we ended up going through, like, the martial section, talking about rogues and fighters and what have you. Pretty much, like, I think we discussed pretty much, like, every build, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Close. Yeah. yeah, so so we can sort of hit the highlights and not necessarily have to hit everything. Um, and so that leaves us with Chapter 3. Uh, which is all about divine characters. So this is where you're going to hit your paladins, where you're going to hit your clerics, uh, druids. Are they in here? Uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. There's not a separate like naturey section, is there? No, there's and, not a. No. Separate. no. Yeah. So sorry, God. Yeah. So all of that is in here, and it opens up with a rather long selection of new domains. What do we think about the idea of adding new domains? Who has, who has thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a... Uh, so a lot of the domains kind of come across a little bit silly. That said, it's sort of a good way to get the functionality in if you want to do different things with religion, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sort of on the fence about it in general. But uh, when you have like cat domain and beer domain, I'm like... Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, justice I, and shadow are, are like okay. Yeah, I can see a broad application. Yeah, it, there's always kind of uh, this kind of accumulation effect. Like, okay, now we've got uh, well, uh, you know, th- you know, if everybody's making new domains, you end up with you know, at some point, like a thousand new domains, and how can you like track it and balance and stuff but like i feel like it's one of those tools that also is it feels like more like flavor and that like you sort of you're picking this and you're and just by sort of curating these lists and and uh you know and and using some of your spells that you're making for the world you're kind of uh uh like that kind of that theme we've been telling about how they use the mechanics to kind of set that flavor so I, i guess it serves that but I would be fine with like the domains just sort of trying to just do lighter reskins, uh, maybe just add a couple abilities to like standard ones or something, mm-hmm. like standard spell lists. But. I, I I've actually I've written a domain, um, uh, the the charity domain uh, for uh, a publication, and I think they are a a, a, a way of isolating your shtick. Is, is really what it boils down to. I mean, um, you know, do I think that they needed a, a beer domain? Not really. Um, or a cat domain, although the cat domain is actually kind of useful. Um, but, uh, 
you know, some of these, you know, definitely do nail a, a shtick. Like the clockwork domain, okay, that's actually nailing a shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, the apocalypse domain actually, you know, does that, um, you know, the... The labyrinth domain maybe doesn't nail a shtick, but it definitely says something about the world that it exists. Well, I like the labyrinth domain just from a flavor perspective. Yeah, I, I, I some of the them I was, you know, could give or take, and you know, do we really need a mountain domain? Okay, or um, speed and domain I, and travel domain, right? Yeah, um, and there's a pro- prophecy domain. Which I think isn't there already an Oracle domain that's been put out for five E already? Oh, maybe maybe from one yeah. of the the new the newer books, right? Right. Um, so, yeah. but that may have been written before that came out, right? And they just incorporated it because they'd already had it in other products. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 foodie the the one of you foodie and me appreciates the hunger domain, but I don't know. Sure. That's, yeah, no, I mean, well, I... Well, Hunter pretty evocative. It is, and I have, I have some yeah. similar thoughts. Like, I, the, the Wizards of the Coast, the 5th edition sort of uh, design aesthetic for domains has been, let's not do what we did in previous editions, which is, like, go crazy and make a domain for everything. Let's make a, a good, solid set of relatively broad domains that can be applied to lots of different concepts. So if you had a hunger god, there was domains that you could sort of justify to go with that or whatever, right? Um, You know, are there potential sort of gaps in that? Sure. Um, And has Wizards of the Coast also started to diverge from that aesthetic a little bit? A little bit, not a ton. This book is really... uh, Taking more of a almost a what, third edition approach to the idea yeah. of domains, right? Of let's, I want yes. to give a menu of all the possible domains, yes. right? Yes, and, yeah. and I, I thought heavily of a third ed. On yeah. yeah, and the potential problem with that is that, um, uh, well, on one hand, like you're trying to have like there's doing a, a shtick as as Jeremiah pointed out, but then there's also like, hey, we could have this combination of spells and whatever that kind of makes sense thematically together and that'll make it like there's mechanical justifications for domains that sometimes happen too um and they're a little bit less evocative um you know and so so i you know i'm hesitant like i don't know that there's any specific domains that i looked at and said no we don't need this go away right like they do a pretty good job of uh at kobold of saying uh, if we're going to put out a domain, or if we're going to do something like this, like we're going to make sure that there's a reason for it. There's some potential. Like, did there need to be a, even a darkness domain? What is there, darkness and shadow? Like, you know, could could there have been one to sort of fit all of those people? I think so. Right, dragon. You know, yeah, the speed domain seems super unnecessary and mm. kind of like uh, min maxi to me. Mm-hmm. There's like, okay, where's haste? Up oh, there's haste. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, I, see I, I I read that and was like, oh, so you're the Flash, right? You're 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 calling on the Speed Force. Okay, <laughs> I at least get it. You know, like I I I got where they were going with it. I didn't really. I, I don't hate it. <laughs> I'm not certain I would want to make a character that use it. Maybe a centaur and be like, I'm the fastest centaur around. Yeah, but I I don't know what. 
what's, what's sto- I don't know what story or setting element it, it is necessitates it, and I don't know what gap it's filling in the in the original suite of of domains. Yeah. You know, so if you're not some fill, of, yeah. filling one of those goals, then I probably don't need you to exist. You know, sure. Right. Uh, some right. of these are, are, are very specific to the yes. setting. Like yes. void domain is definitely specific. Uh, the labyrinth domain is also specific. Yeah. There's a whole yeah. Labyrinth domain makes total sense with everything else going on in this book. Well, and and if, while the void domain is very specific to something Mm -hmm. in the setting, it can be pretty recognizable to any sort of setting that's using sort of a far realm, sort of world between the stars, Lovecraftian sort of thing, right? Sure. So So anyway, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, one thing... uh, Going back to what you're saying, Jeff, on the sort of third ed kind of aesthetic, uh, which sort of, uh, you know, this is sort of in like, hey, we're, we're going to make these sort of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of stick reinforcement things like you were saying, Jeremiah, uh, for, for it. One of the things I'd love to see on this instead is because the concepts of, say, the labyrinth domain uh, is really cool. And I really don't need any more spells at this point, but like it would be great if they did them almost like hey, this is a subset of, like, this domain, and here are, like, almost like a mini background kind of thing, where it's, like, mm. here's principles and sort of precepts and sort of, like, tell us about the, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a divergence from everything. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making mm-hmm. a fairly wide sort of design wish here, but mm-hmm. I'd love to see something more, generally something more like that, mm-hmm. um, with less mechanical touch, but more world touch to right. to do it and, and I, I i think maybe they're kind of expecting you to get some of that from the setting book but the setting right. book is not a player focused book and if i'm a player it might be useful to me to have a little back bit of background information and setting information like you're talking about about hey how does this labyrinth idea fit in you know right yeah I, yeah what was labyrinth concept i i would say that while yes there may be an unnecessary number of uh domains here I can't say it dis- detracts from anything. No, it's fine. Like no, it's, no, it's no, relatively no, inoffensive. No, 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 no. yeah. Like if the whole if the whole book if the whole book was was pulling this third edition mindset of let's just make a whole bunch of new options, right? Uh, in this style, uh, I might have an issue. But you know, for what it is, it doesn't. It's not going to turn me off of it. Uh, Rabbit, you were saying something. Yeah, I was saying it's a lot to skim through. Um, <laughs> Or to to go through, and sort of encourages skimming once you get to that point. Hmm. But it, by itself, it's it's not sort of an issue. Though they they there do are some list formatting nitpicks I might have. Oh yeah, I agree with the formatting uh, nicks. But uh, one of the things that should be mentioned is this is also the section where they list the gods of yes. the setting. That's so true. it uh, it is useful for people who want to know. Okay, what kind of gods do my clerics? Have a chance of following. Well, here they are. Right. Yeah, and and I, I want to just reinforce too that that my sort of suggestion is actually a little unreasonable because they, what they're all all that they're really doing in here is following kind of the established sort of that's how you know domains are like one of clerics kind of main distinction points and they're just sort of adding those so it's not uh, it's it's more uh, it's not localized my wish for this I don't think mm-hmm. they did anything wrong. Um, it's just uh, like when we get to the arcane uh, section, uh, 
I think I think the way that like uh, sorcerers and warlocks are kind of uh, made distinct just makes it easier to be kind of more flavorful without mm. kind of dense walls of spell lists and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, well, until you get to the arcane traditions, which that was the other place where I was like, wow, we just have tons and tons and tons of these, don't we? But we'll get yep. to that. Yeah, we will. But. Uh, you asked about druids. Yeah, there's, there's a druid. There's there's there one a new druid build, right? The Circle yeah. of the Stones. Yeah. So McCoy, tell us what's the Circle of the Stones. So, uh, have you ever seen Stonehenge? I have actually. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so has apparently whoever wrote this up. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's designed around druids who hang out in uh, circles of stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has some nifty powers associated with them. Like, uh, you can, uh, you know, do, uh, entries into the spirit world. You can call on spirits to help you out with different things. It's basically using those stones as a, uh, a gateway to the spirit world and you mm-hmm. asking them for help. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, so it's it's largely focused on their section of the setting called the Northlands, which is sort of their Viking-ish area, and it's kind of bringing in some Viking and maybe Celtic ideas and, and mashing them together uh, to create this sort of stone circles sort of um, thing and contacting the spirits from within the stone circles and, and that kind of stuff, so... Yeah. It's it's an interesting little flavor. Uh, if you're in a setting where the stone circle thing is a thing, um, you know, if if yours is the only stone circle, then that becomes a little bit like um, there were some previous editions where druids, you know, could get their own grove and had abilities within that grove, and that's cool. But the adventures don't usually happen in the grove, right? Um, right. So if there's not a lot of stone circles out there in the setting to be useful, eh, you know, this this becomes I- a little bit like that. I could see lifting yeah. this and putting it in Moonshay. Sure, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. it make a lot of sense in Moonshay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or use your grove to make your own sort of fantasy Deep Space Nine thing. Right. Where everybody comes to the grove. Which is fine as long as, like, the entire party and the players all know that that's the campaign, right? right? It's, this is yeah. the campaign where we're all, we're all going to hang out in my forest, you know? <laughs> so, and then... play that game. <laughs> and that might be a fine game. It's just not a, the typical D and D game. Right. Um, I want to be Garrick. You, you, that's fine, but I'm Odo. <laughs> <laughs> um, then yeah. beyond that, they also have two it's other options. What's that? Oh, Dukai. Uh, they have two other options. There's the Pantheist Priest, and then there's Rune Magic. Although not really a lot of information here about Rune Magic. Um, but but its references you know go other places and here's where you can see stuff about this new magic option. Um, so who wants to tell us about Pantheon priests? Ooh me me me. Go for it. I have all manner of feels about the Pantheist priest. I'm really interested in the okay. So you don't want to worship just one god. You want to worship five or six gods and so I had done something similar in a game of mine. Where the whole thing was, you worship five or six. Well, you worship six gods at a time. This is a totally different approach from mine, which is cool. Um, you switch out which deity you worship uh, every week. You pick a pantheon based on your region, and 
There's rules for how often you can worship the same deity. Mm -hmm. You have to worship each deity in your pantheon over a 12-week period. It encourages you to keep a written record and plan your schedule carefully. So we're making this a absolutely great cleric option for people who really liked Birthright. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it, it is It is definitely uh, a lot of bookkeeping and a lot of complexity. Um, if you are down with that in the spreadsheet play, then great. If not, this is probably not for you. Fortunately, it calls out in the design, you gain flexibility over normal clerics at the cost of some complexity in bookkeeping. Right. Yep, that, that's exactly what's happening. That's sort of how it plays, you know? And then the other bit that's here is just sort of a kind of an odd little paragraph, right? Hey, new divine option. We have rune magic here too. Check out chapter seven in the spells for uh, uh, chapter six and chapter seven for more information on how that kind of works. Um, it, it's also strange that like it's listed as a divine option and then describes it as here's options available to all magic using classes. Okay, then why is it in the divine section specifically? But you know, fine. It's 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 in the you know they had a, they had a little section of a column to fill and wanted to point out. Hey, there's there's this other cool thing that might be useful to your divine characters. Go check it out over here. Uh, and I guess we'll talk more about rune magic when we get to it, right? Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's move along uh, at our, our slightly increased pace here to to arcane characters. Uh, so we're talking we're talking sorcerers. We're talking wizards. We're talking. Uh, warlocks. Does that cover them all? Um, yeah. Are, are bards in here? I don't think so. No, they had um, those in the the martial section. Yeah, they did. Alright, so um, arcane characters. What do we think? Oh, uh, boy. I, I, Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I like uh, as I sort of previewed in the divine section I, I personally sort of like how uh evocative a lot of them are um you know the you know something like like one of one of one of my favorites i, I kind of uh, like was a warlock pack with a genie lord yeah like yeah. that's just like ooh, like well played right that, that you know and it's, and it's like the kind of thing it just um, again, uh, to, for me, I've always felt like uh, like warlocks are really great because it's sort of like, hey, I make this pack with some. It's like take magic and like make some pack with some like crazy bean, and you can do that a gazillion different ways and come up with cool stuff. So it's just easy to not, not easy like simple, no effort, but um, it's pretty powerful to uh, get all these combinations. They have a really few really cool ones here. Has, has anybody ever played Second Edition Al Kadim? Yes. So the genie lord to me is a fifth edition take on the Shire. Mm. The, sh the Shire was yeah. the, was oh this God. this oh. this uh, wizard build where where you had a little elemental jinn that you would send into the cosmos to retrieve <laughs> spells for you, right? And I and it occurred to me when I saw the genie yeah. lord, I'm like, oh, I could I could run a genie lord, and then they actually have Kobold separately has a a PDF product. Uh, just all about genies, where they include little oh, little miniature um, uh, elemental creatures called jinn, just like the ones from the Shire. And it's like, oh, if I took Genie Lord, uh, Pact of the Chain, and switched out the Mephit for the jinn, like I could totally pull off a Shire, and it would be awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they. Um, 
Sorry, go ahead, Rabbit. So speaking of second edition, when I saw the Mazeborn Sorceress Bloodline, my mind immediately went to Planescape. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, actually. And how Ooh. and how totally messed up that would be. But I, I mean it I mean obviously it's part of the whole Midgard uh Minotaur thing. Mm-hmm. And for that it's actually really awesome. But I was like, oh man, that would be a really, really twisted Planescape thing since mm-hmm. uh Yeah, that maze. Yeah, they um, they have, of course, yet again, returned to clockwork stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the, the the great machine patron mm-hmm. uh, in here, um, and you know uh, the clockwork wizard school as well. So if you if you need clockwork magic, this book has you covered. All the way down the, the row. I mean, <laughs> divine or yeah. And honestly, I think uh, the thing we, that is interesting with the uh, the arcane stuff is there are a lot of things that are evocative to the setting, but the, a lot of these are I could I could lift this and just put it into yeah any setting mm-hmm. like the shadow mm-hmm. bloodline. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure where the, like, speaking of, of sort of like we did with domains, like, there's some, some strange, uh, I guess it's not really overlap, right? Because there's a shadow sorceress bloodline, and then there's the warlock light eater pact, which yeah. I think I think would make a really cool um, uh-huh. pact of the blade warlock, because I could see you jumping into the middle of the fray and then throwing out that first level darkness calls and blinding everybody around you, um, you know, uh, so I can see, like, like I have a harder time thinking about who my light eater uh, a patron is, and that's part of what makes warlocks evocative to me. But I could right. see a way of making that really interesting in the setting, and it has some mechanical things that are interesting too. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and then and uh, and th- this kind of touches on that sort of that comparison I, I've been making with the domain. Like like one of the things that's interesting I think about like warlocks and sorcerer bloodlines are that they're Character, they, they are they are things that are uh, sort of the makeup of your character essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas some, something like a domain can be uh, more like, okay, well, I worship, I like, I access this thing, right? And so it's not quite, you know, if if you're not careful, it's. It, I, I feel like domains are are harder to make, uh, and these are. Uh, again, I'm not trying to say that they're. Uh, simple or easy, but I think uh, you know, just like we're talking about it, we have all these great spinoffs and ideas about it. They're they're just yeah, they like they just pop really easy. Mm. Yeah, and some of these are are some that I'd be I'd have a harder time working into other settings. Like the Clark work works great in Eberron, but I probably would have a harder time working it into Forgotten Realms. I could find an excuse, but I'd have to work at it. I know you could, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Probably my favorite thing in the arcane section. I really like the wizard arcane tradition, Angelic Scribe, and I kind of want to criticize the heck out of it too because yeah. it's got so much going on and it's so complex. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it's adding way more functionality than any other uh, wizard tradition, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's so neat and I really like the seals and everything they're doing. Yeah, it's also though like my note on on that section was this is really interesting and doesn't feel like a wizard thing. 
you know? <laughs> so, uh, and it, you're right, it adds all this this extra complexity and there's the seals and, and all kinds of stuff that you do with them and whatever. Uh, and that's cool. But the idea is like you're you're describing these these angelic sort of symbols and, and whatever. Uh, and, and that's awesome. But that's not usually how I think of a wizard, right? And, and mm. there's an element where I guess it's okay to bend that idea, that conception. Mm. Um, but you don't want to like, you don't want to eat the cleric's lunch either. So, I, I, would I mean, say I that... really like it. Like I like the mystic, the uh, uh, they call it thaumaturgist now. But mm-hmm. yeah. I'm playing one of those in a game, and I really like that. So I like the divine wizard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like. Wow, this is trying. This is really, really trying very hard. Mm-hmm. It, it's also calling on some. It's calling on some some real world magical traditions. Let's say, yeah, you know, it, it's you have to be careful whenever you you start talking about real world magical traditions because obviously, you know, there's some weirdness that get, gets brought into that. But I mean, there are certainly some hermetic style. Uh, magic traditions mm-hmm. that people are aware of in the real world that involve, you know, invoking angelic names and their circles and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, I can see where they were going with it. It also was the subject of one of their supplements mm-hmm. that they came out with before this. Yeah. So you're talking about the deep magic angelic uh, seals or whatever. Um, right. Product and and it's worth noting that a lot of the deep magic series of products ended up in this book. Um, there's not a real compelling reason to buy both all of the deep magic books and this book because most of those made it in here. Uh, That's where rune magic came from. That's where a lot of these things come. Uh, Leylands are there. Um, so there's a lot yes of overlap. And, yes and no. Uh, there's some overlap. If you like angelic magic you should probably pick up the deep magic thing because there's more of it in mm. there okay. than it is presented here. Sure. Same with rune magic and all the others. If you like the little taste that you get here and you want more substance to it, it's worth picking them up. Is it more more um, crunch or fluff or both? Both. Okay. Yeah. That, uh, that would make sense, especially if... Uh... Dan Dillon was working on it. Right. But he does a good mix of both. Yeah. yeah. And th- another one of the wizard traditions that I thought was particularly interesting and evocative, so to speak, was the, the dragon mask one. Um, oh, yeah. It took me some time to sort of wrap my head around it, but because it's called dragon masks and your first ability at second level is invoke the dragon mask. And then it confused me when the next one was Invoke the Dragon Heart. And I'm like, well, why is it called, why is it named after the first one? But once I got past that, I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here, right? So you get to, to invoke the dragon heart, the wings, the, the mask, the, the tail, um, and, and sort of make your, it's, it's your, your dragony wizard in a way that we don't really have elsewhere. So I thought it was really pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I felt this one was all around better design since it actually uses spell slots to do things. Hmm. And so it, it feels like, okay, maybe a little less on the surface mm-hmm. powerful in doing stuff than the Angelic Scribe, but actually more about being a wizard. Right. Yeah. And, and could I steal, you know, you know, so I'm looking at the Wizard School for Entropy. Which is kind of 
the wizard version of the sorcerer, the wild magic sorcerer, right? Right. Could I just steal the chaos magic surge table out of this and use it for a sorcerer as well? Could it? I mean, they seem like they'd be fairly interchangeable, right? I've been playing with the sorcerer one for for years now, so so uh, you know it might be interesting <laughs> to mix it up, you know. And I don't want to have to do a lot of work, so. Um, there, there are a couple in here that I'm like, uh, like the high elfin magic. Uh-huh. I was like, do I need this? I really don't need this. That was another, uh, that's another one of the deep magic, uh, products though. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, well, and I think it, it, it also, it definitely fills a, like high elven magic has been a thing in a lot of sure. settings for a long time. So throwing some mechanics behind that, fine. It's a... It is as we as uh, we mentioned before, uh, Quinn and I discussed. Like it's a kind of a third editiony sort of approach to things, right? Uh, I'm yeah. pretty happy as a DM to just say, "Yeah, high elven magic is a thing. You're not high elves uh, as a party, so it's not going to be relevant to you. So don't worry about it. it it's just a thing, and mm-hmm. it's going to be the way I sort of hand wave stuff and say that this thing happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the third edition mentality is. Uh, well, if this is a thing that can be done, then we need to be able to explain how it can be done, right? Right. Yeah, like physics, the, mm-hmm. the physics mechanics right. of it. Right. Sure. I mean, I know this is another deep magic one, but uh, I, I'd kind of take the ley line one for, you know, that birthright game that uh, I will never actually get to play <laughs> again. Sure. Uh, Elementalist actually is. I'm like, why hasn't, why hasn't Wizards of the Coast already done this? Well, and that's a pretty basic, like, easy one that you see a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like that. You, I saw when the first time I saw uh, going through the book, I was like, wait, why, why hasn't Wizards done this one already? Because this is classic Wizard stuff. It's been in multiple right. editions. Right. Elementalists are a thing. Why is this not already extant? Right. Well, and that's where where Kobold comes in. Is some of what sure. they're doing is I think there's some areas where they're very intentionally looking at, hey, what have people what what are some of the things that people loved about previous editions of D and D? How can we you know make that work for fifth edition? So I think they saw the gap too, and that's where it came from, right? Thank yeah. you, Wizards, for leaving room for the third party market. Sure, that's I'm all right indeed. Um, all right, are we good with Wizards? You got some more, Jeremiah? There is one. I have to call out as being easily the creepiest thing I've seen in D and D, necrophagy. Uh huh. Oh, you death eaters. Yeah, they they eat the dead. I mean, don't we all? <laughs> like they can. <laughs> uh, so they can uh, conjure undead familiars. And at 6th level, they can consume the flesh of of the living, undead, or recently slain and gain hit points and increases to their intelligence skills. And it gets worse from there, guys. <laughs> I mean, so eating the undead is kind of uh, uh, creepy, but, you know, uh, I had chicken tonight. That's recently dead. Yes. I, I play a character <laughs> basically... A, you play the same kind of character in... A game with me, Jeremiah. It's true. We play characters that are basically ghouls, so yeah. this is not all that weird. Except that we should totally convince Brandis to put this in that game. Well, yeah, and and it, it is weird in as much as like it evokes the idea of like 
digging up graves and consuming the 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 long dead, you know, uh, as well. So, well, I, I mean, uh, Steve the thief got killed by that last trap. Oh well, let's not let him go to waste. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can benefit from this. Just let me eat him. I mean, it has to be called <laughs> as being very evocative and very creepy, and I kind of want to play one. Uh, so, there you go. Yeah, this is my shocked face right here. I have a type. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. Uh, Any others from Wizards that we need to talk, or Arcane Traditions that we need to talk about? And and here's where where Rune Magic comes up again, right? They have the Arcane Mm -hmm. option for Rune Magic listed here with the description of the different... the different spell lists that that match the rune magic mm-hmm. for the different classes here, All right? Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit weird again. Like they mentioned it in the last chapter, and then in this chapter, here's all the spell lists, whether it's arcane or not. And you know, they've kind of taken rune magic and and piecemealed it throughout the book. You know, if I'm playing a a rune magic uh, caster, like I I might be worried that I miss the thing, but I, it's not so splintered, you know, that you lose it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's talk feats and backgrounds then. Chapter five. So we have a few pages of feats. They didn't go too crazy, and I'm glad to see that. I was worried because of the third edition uh, tradition in Kobold Press and that we've seen evident in other parts of the book that they would go feat crazy because that's that was a third edition third edition tradition, Uh right? And very counter to. Yeah. Fifth edition. And, yeah. And, and yet they keep it to what, four or five pages? Yeah, about, mm-hmm. about four, uh, four, four, three and a half pages, really. Um, mm-hmm. So it's more feats, but they're not, they're not, you know, it's not like they're giving us just a menu of feats. Like they're all fitting a purpose. Mm-hmm. You have the dragon magic feats. Which comes mm-hmm. from their Dragon Magic Deep Magic product, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right? But then there's like all of these elements within that, and that's like a page and a half of their mm-hmm. feats, right? And then they do the same thing with elementals, um, with you know, or they do a little bit of that with elemental. Mm-hmm. They, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure in the player's handbook, none of those feats have prerequisites. Uh, I, I think there's example. one or two that have minor prerequisites, but nothing as, as extensive as what's in um, here. Yeah, every single one of these feats has prerequisites, and that's a li- that's a little third edition-y too, isn't it? That really bugs me, um, especially since a lot of the like, there's a feat for every dragon one, mm. so it's basically I have no choices when I hit the place where I'm buying feats, I guess I have to buy the feet for my uh, uh, if I'm a dragon uh, mask mage, I guess I have to buy the feet for my uh, ability and for my level, so that, uh, that that's a quirk of mine that I find mm. fairly obnoxious, but yeah, so I'm um, I'm I'm. To, I, I opened sorry. up my handy dandy D and D Beyond app and and opened the player's handbook in there. Um, and there's a handful of feats with prereqs, but they're all pretty simple. Like the elemental adept has to have the ability to to cast one spell, right? 
the grappler has to be have a strength of 13 or higher. It, it's it's fairly straightforward. Um, yeah, prereqs and and most of the prereqs on most of these, not the um, not the, uh, uh, the 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 dragon ones. The dragon ones have much more stringent, but most of these are relatively tame prerequisites. Like in the ring magic feats, the circle spellcaster, you have to be able to cast a spell. Right. Yeah, a bunch of the ones that have the okay, you have to have the ability to cast at least one spell. Those don't bother me yeah. um, as much because, hey, more stuff, more feats the wizards even want to take. Right. Or the well, magic users even want the, to take. Yeah, I see, but I see the point, right? Fifth edition aesthetic is that prereqs are the exception, not the rule, and that's the opposite of what's true here. Like, I think there's, yeah. I think I only saw one feat option that did not, uh, the elemental magic feat, oddly enough, does not have any prereqs. Yeah, there are two feats under there, and neither of them have prerequisites. Right. Um, which is, and actually, both of those, I find myself going, why are these in the elemental magic feats? Right. Because one yeah. of them's the negotiator, where you're good at making deals, and the other is a survivor, where you're good at surviving. Right. Well, they're there because it came from the elemental ma- deep magic product. Sure. And I'm sure uh, the deal-making one was described as, you know, uh, you're good at, like, negotiating and bargaining with genies and that kind of stuff, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's um, funny, since it doesn't have... It, it it doesn't have anything in the feats that touches on elemental stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, the Survivor one arguably does it a little oh, bit. The extreme uh, heat and cold kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's, I mean, sure. that's about it, right? And the way they treat okay. elementals in the setting, um, negotiating deals with them is a thing, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Uh, that's why it's there. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a feat you should take if you're the talker in the party. Mm-hmm. So, so that's feats in a nutshell. Uh, then there's an extensive section on backgrounds, and I don't really mind sort of a large menu of backgrounds because it's not a major oh, yeah. mechanical component. It's mostly uh, role-playing sort of suggestions or whatever. Uh, they tend to be very flavored towards the setting of Midgard, um, sure. although there's some that could be applied generally or reskinned. Um, you know, I- I'm generally a fan of having lots of feed options or background options. Back- backgrounds are uh, backgrounds are one of my favorite bits of the then. Um, if I haven't brought like broadcast and sort of uh, set that up uh, enough over talking about this, and I and I really like uh, that that part of this book. Here, I think I think it's one of the overall strongest. Yeah, so so like like Quinn was saying, like backgrounds are option awesome. I like having lots of backgrounds. It does take up a healthy page count, uh, and some of the a lot of the backgrounds are pretty darn specific like i could reskin them if i really needed to but um i don't know how interested i am in reskinning them given that we already have a pretty healthy list of options for backgrounds out there um so i guess i'm pretty okay with the the backgrounds like i think backgrounds are fantastic Uh, i think there are some great ones in here that are generally uh usable um but there are some of them that like get very specific and i'd have to work a little harder to to make, uh, uh, you know, the, what is it, like, 
like the the ghost knight fit in, right? Because um, that's a partic- particular thing in the setting. So. Um, the ghost knight actually has a class build too. That's true. Uh, where you slowly become a, a basically undead while you uh, a, as you progress. Um, but yeah, I I think this is a model of what you. I mean, if you're doing a campaign setting, um, you want to have that. And, you want to have background, a bunch of backgrounds for the campaign setting, so people have easy sort of. This is the kind of character you play here, right. and I find they're relatively easy to design as well. Um, sure. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time to to put together a background, and, and so it's a needed thing, it's a helpful thing, and being able to throw it in um, is useful. There's a lot of good cultural information. There is. It's really very evocative and. Um, uh, Start in the section is actually pretty good. We hadn't talked a lot about art, but um, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. yeah there, there are some pretty good character shots in here as well. Um, the, there are a couple ones that are more um, race specific that I kind of wish they'd made a little bit more generic. But other than that, I find them pretty neat. Mystic of Baba Yaga. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I just love the, I love the dancing bear guide for various reasons. <laughs> I mean, I mostly <laughs> like the name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like they're, they're actually a useful uh, background to have. They're kind of cool. They're evocative, but also it's because the name is the dancing bear guide. Right. Um, but yeah. Um, not shocked. Hmm? For the second time tonight, this is my shock face. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, I, I'm predictable in some regards. Um, and the dampier is the one that I can think of that is that and the the oh, what's the elven one the the refugee from yeah. I'll pull up. I know the Arbanus in exile. Oh. Yeah, Arbanus mm-hmm. exile. Uh, are are both racial, kind of racially locked. Mm-hmm. I suppose you could argue that the Arbanes exile could be a human or some other. But at the very least, it's a model for how you could do an exile type of background and 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 redo it or remake it for your own setting purposes. Quinn, did uh, you want to try saying something? Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Um, okay, so um, we're. Uh, so, sorry here, I just have to catch We're just up. wrapping up our thoughts on backgrounds. Backgrounds, backgrounds. okay. We um, like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, they're, they're great. Uh, yeah, like, like so, uh, I was trying to say before I had all the uh, weird Skype issues, um, was just, yeah, like the, I, I love this stuff. Uh, they're, they're, it's really grounded in here. And um, my favorite, I, like I, I, they, they have a couple ones that are very like, distinct and sort of uh, flashy, like I, I think you mentioned like sort of stuff like the Ghost Knight and thing. Uh, but I really like uh, stuff like the uh, the Krakovan Rebel. Mm. Right? Just, just, you know, not because it's like a particularly like awesome high concept, but it's actually just so grounded in a specific sort of event and situation. Like, like, you know, you could only have it in this part of the world with this stuff happening. And so it's sort of like links you to a lot of things just by 
by being by having that. So that, that was probably like my favorite one. Is like yeah, and and sort of like the the exile that uh, Jeremiah was talking about. Um, I think while you were having connection issues, um, it even if that doesn't fit your setting, I think it gives you a a template for how to do a similar sort of thing in your setting. So. Uh, they definitely have a few that are easy lifts. Uh, the profit is an easy lift. Mm-hmm. Uh, the minor is an easy lift. You right. don't have to do much work to move those to your setting of choice. Uh, the tinker, even to a certain extent, uh-huh. would probably fit in most settings. Um, so, yeah, if, uh, there are a few that are much more locked to the setting. But uh, about half of these could just easily be picked up and moved. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I'd like to, if it's okay, move into chapter six and seven. These are where we're getting into the spell casting, new spell casting, and then the spells. Um, you know, we're eh, fifteen minutes shy of an hour at this point, so that gives us a decent amount of time to chat, um, and maybe we go a little bit over. So the um, the spellcasting rules is where we finally get the details on the the much uh, previewed uh, rune sp- uh, magic, right? But then you also get ley lines. You get uh, what's the other one? Um, ring magic that we saw in the, a little bit of in the arcane build. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, those are the, the what three new options, right? Ley lines, r- r- uh, ring magic, and runes. Uh, what do we think about these three options? Uh, what, which ones are particularly evocative or interesting to you? As I said before, hey, Ley Lines, let's go play Birthright now. But, um, I sure. find it interesting. Uh, the only worry is, is with anything where there's a strong geographical component, well... You're you're sort of at the mercy of the adventure, right? But um, yeah. But but other than other than that, which is again why I keep thinking birthright because birthright is all about its geography. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ley lines but, are one. Uh, of the, oh, go ahead. Uh, it, that that was pretty much it. Yeah, but, yeah li- otherwise I like it. Ley lines for me are are interesting in that I don't hate the concept of ley lines, but if you introduce like the ley line magic uh, system as it exists here, now Mm -hmm. I as a DM have to lay out all of the ley lines that exist in the world, and 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 that and then and that at the same time like hamstrings how I can tell the story. Like I want I want to just be able to say, oh yeah, this thing is going on in the story because there's a convergence of ley lines there. Uh, you know, I want to have the ley lines exist and then locate them in in the convenient locations for the story I'm telling. Right? Uh, introducing this while it works is feels very like third edition simulationist in that you have to right. you have to previously figure out how everything works and where it all is. I, right. I I I will I will offer a counter off. Okay, please uh, do. Uh, this can be applied much as the way you would in, say, a more narrative-style game. You know, uh, you can decide there's a ley line here for the the purposes of this adventure. You just track it. You don't have to uh, do that. And it even talks about, in some regards, sometimes ley lines move. 
Very so, safe way of, of looking at it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Right. yeah. My my problem with the ley lines, uh, as as implemented, um, I think ley lines are cool, right? Um, and and all that stuff, but I feel like they're flipped. Um, kind of where they're interesting. Like I think what's interesting about ley lines is this stuff that they is this wet thing that they say about the background of magic energy at this place. Right. So if the ley lines are weak, the ley lines are converge, all of these other stuff. Right. But as implemented, it's sort of like, you know, it's basically just this boost or not where I feel like they could almost make them uh, like almost like little environmental things like the kind of uh, like some sort of, hey, when it's weak, like here are different kinds of ley lines and what they might do uh, in environment rather than have like a you can get a boost to a random boost to a spell or backlash or something mm-hmm. uh, make make locations more interesting because of the ley lines on them and sort of almost like like feats or powers for places that you mm-hmm. could tap into and, and it could yeah. very well be that that exists in the setting book as well this is a player focused yeah. book and that's, yeah, that's a dm for, mm-hmm. sort of decision yeah that's true it kind that's of true. really wants you as a dm to tell stories about this Mm-hmm. Like if you have if you have anyone who's interested in the ley line magic, then well, that's going to be a lot of what your stories are about. Sure, and uh, they are also tied to some rapid transit capabilities in mm-hmm. the setting. Um, that you know, if you know the line, ley lines, you can travel from point A to point B, you know, instantaneously rather than uh, you know having to spend six months trying to get there. So it's a, a convenient means for you to, you know, move people around the board when you need to and when you want to. Um, and I think that my read on it um, is, is probably colored by my own sort of uh, non d uh, game playing. When I read it, uh, originally I thought of Rifts. Mm. <laughs> um where it is a big thing in riffs. Sure. Um, and uh, I, this is a relatively tame execution, I guess. Uh, it is only as you, you uh, useful or impactful to your game as you want it to be. Like, if, if you don't want to deal with it, you could maybe have, like, here's an adventure set in a place where there's a ley line thing, and the rest of the time you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. If you're tired of a wizard, did it have a weird convergence of ley lines? Did it is, you know. Right. So anyway, we spent a lot of time talking about ley lines. Uh, Ring magic is the next one, although it's there's not much to say about it because it's mostly just a page of description and and setting and story. Um, the mechanics, I guess, for ring magic come in the arcane tradition of ring. Uh, there was the ring wizard build. Word. Yeah, uh, and then there's there's spells associated with that, and so this is just sort of a hey, here's some some background on what ring magic is mm-hmm. and the history and its connection to dwarves and making rings and there's some cool art that goes with it and and that's pretty cool. Uh, then there's the bigger one and and arguably to me the more interesting one, which is the rune magic that takes up most of this chapter uh, because it comes with all these little like every, there's all these individual runes and the runes give different bonuses and powers depending on how. You know how powered up they are and whatever they've each got a name and a little figure and uh, all this kind of stuff so so somebody tell me about rune magic so um, rune magic of course is 
again, draw, drawing a, a, a real world legendary or magical tradition involving runes. They were found throughout uh, Northern Europe uh, as uh, sort of a language and they yeah. were attributed to have magical capabilities. Yeah, this and is this, this is their their the further viking part of the setting, right? Right. And this is very much picking up from that and running with it. You learn a uh, you can learn uh, specific runes as you go through for story related reasons, you can pick up knowledge about them. Some people are better at learning the rune spells, uh, but the rune themselves are separate from the spells themselves mm -hmm. um and so it, it gets a little confusing like if you have different levels of power being used with the rune casters uh define the ability of that rune so the the first rune they have is elgas uh and the base level is you can make an elkhorn rod in six hours and you gain a plus one bonus on initiative checks. And then at fifth level, you get a better version of that. And at eighth level, you get a better version of that. Um, and it becomes more and more powerful as you go up. Uh, yeah, so, so I like it and dislike it yeah, for some of the same reasons. I, I like and dislike the angelic sigils. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it's adding this this uh, it's complex and it's but it's adding this layer layer of um, interesting quirkiness to a setting. Um, am I am I correct in my remembrance that the runes have the the I guess limitation of being relatively stationary, right? It's, you can't like carve a rune on your on your your shield and carry it around with you. Am I rem remembering that right? No, uh, I'm wrong. Like, uh, some of these are specifically inscribed on your shields. Oh, yeah. man, I, I'm face, really wrong. Yeah, or faces or other ones, or weapons, yeah. or, uh, or so forth. I, like, a lot of the 4th uh, and 5th level ones are mm -hmm. inscribed directly on you or on something. Mm -hmm. uh, part of me is... Uh, this will be hard to explain... Uh, though I think Bravo will probably get it because we've had similar things in uh, LARPs. This feels like it should have been the secret magic. Like, the players have to learn this magic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, it kind of is. Yeah, they, that, but that's what they described back in the what, the with no the cleric section the divine section was that you you know the this is kind of a secret magic and most people you can't just find it right, uh, right. There, there's a story behind the NPC that you defeated to find it and whatever which is sort of why I feel a little sad that it's in the player's book I get why it's oh. in the player's book it's your treasure but yeah it feels like yeah. here's something you should discover and the players should have the experience of learning about it through play mm. rather than just go read the rune magic section Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most interesting part of it to me are the rituals. The um, the rune rituals are are really neat. They don't we we don't spend a lot of time in fifth edition kind of talking about rituals or the flavor of them or how mm -hmm. to do them. I appreciate that there's a lot of that here because they're mostly um, just spells that take longer in in most of fifth edition, right? Yeah. Ex exactly. And it, it now it. Uh, the one thing that's a little unclear is 
whether it just wants the caster to be there or whether the party should be there. I'm thinking that if you're running this, you should probably figure out ways that it's important for all the players to be there. Otherwise, this is going to be an awful lot of time kind of, you know, boring people at the table. But if if you look at these, they involve capturing hungry spirits and dealing with uncontrolled, summoned, almost goetic creatures. Yeah, way to make the magic part of the adventure and yeah. you know and interesting for everybody and I, I cannot hate that yeah they're they're dramatic scenes right that are yeah. predefined like here's the here are the rules for that dramatic scene you want to run uh I mean, that's because that's what they are I mean uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, and I like that. Uh, no, the rituals yeah. are awesome. I like rune magic. Uh, when I said I kind of wish it wasn't in the player's book, it, it's not because I don't like it. It's that I, I wish this is something I could slowly reveal to the players. You want it to be like a, a boon or a blessing that's in that alternative treasure yeah. options that you can start to reveal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I might, yeah, I'm, I might it, just steal that. Rune's treasure is right. like would be awesome. Like that'd be really great. I I fully agree with that. I I I will sign that. Um, I'd also take some of the design ideas for rituals and like use those as templates for doing some of my own ritual design work. I feel. Uh, even for other classes. Sure. So should we move ahead to sixty-five pages of spells? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We could we could pick out a few that we like. Yeah, I don't think we're going to cover all of them. Sixty-five pages of spells—that is more pages of content than we covered in ti- in the entirety of part one. By the way, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, and some of them are locked to specific classes or feats. Yep, like there's dragon magic, uh, there's angelic magic, which is you know to the angelic seals. There's rune magic. There's lane line magic spells. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the appropriate feats and such to be able to cast those or the appropriate class mm-hmm. to cast those. So that helps sort of narrow down the vast library of choices yeah. that you just now have. The, just the spell lists are seven pages. Yeah, seven yeah. pages of just um, the list of spells. Who right. What? Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of... I'm conflicted about big spell lists, as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, because in a fantasy world, like you could expect that, you know, a lot of, you know, like the magic that you cast is like a defining characteristic of it. Sure. But then a lot of the interesting stuff that they have is already kind of developed in these new, like, I, I feel for the most part, um, and there's some interesting spells in here, but like I feel for the most part, if, if you, uh, you could probably take stuff out of the player's handbook and then just use some of the different, like, you know, uh, arcane traditions and, th- you know, all the other options that they give you and get a lot of that flavoring without mm. sort of adding a ton more stuff to learn. And, and, and as a GM, uh, uh, almost 99% of the time, I, I kind of feel for every time I see a big spell, it's like this is like, oh, great. Like, there's going to be inevitably, yeah. like, 
a stellar well, two that's going to break everything that right. I didn't read first and all oh, like well, I, you know or if it's not a spell or two that breaks it it's it's a combination of a spell from yeah. here and something in the player's handbook and all of a sudden my game is broken right yeah like there's all these like emergent effects of things that weren't you know uh, ever play tested together I, I mean reasonably it's not uh, anyone's fault on that uh, that just have these crazy effects it's, uh, the more it's options like, there are the more chances there are for something to go poorly right Yes. So, can, can I just say that there's a spell that's called Become Nightwing, and I'm sure that means something specific <laughs> in the setting, but I just had a moment. I can cast a spell and be Dick Grayson. Right? <laughs> it, does it give you, like, little uh, Tompa sticks? I have to know. Instead, it gives you a 60-foot fly speed and a breath weapon, so... Sure, and you know, <laughs> I, I I think my easy solution to here's a sudden uh, p- product with a lot of extra spells is uh, pursuing the policy of if the free spells you can get out of the player's handbook, everything else you have to find. Yeah, although I would make an exception for like if I wanted to, if I have a character who wants to play a Clockwork Wizard. Okay, so so here are the clockwork spells. Go ahead sure. and, and build from there as well, because that's a specialty that you have. Or you're an elementalist. Here are some elemental options you may not otherwise see. Sort sure. Of thing, so and rune magic similarly. Right. What one of the spells in here that I absolutely love the flavor of uh, is Blade of My Brother. Mm. You touch a melee weapon that was used by an ally who is now dead. It animates and flies into combat. Oh, that's sick. So it's it's dancing weapon, but specifically of, of somebody who died. From a that's yeah. amazing. Well, and that's that's also like that's one of those things where that's a really strange niche, and I don't ever see myself like preparing that spell because I don't want to plan for the the idea that one of my party members is gonna die, right? Mm. Well, it doesn't actually specify that they have to have died like in the last ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> so like if it, it could be like here's the weapon of my the, you know the guy who died getting us the information that led us to this uh, a dungeon anyway I'm gonna cast that uh, have that spell memorized because he's going to get a piece of the vengeance we're having on the bad guy so so could it just be like Bob died at level three, and I kept his sword around in a sheath. And every time there's a fight, I throw it out and cast the spell. And Bob's Bob's always there with us, fighting alongside of us. Sure, it's a fourth level spell, so it'll be a while before you're casting this. But yeah, but I could just totally see a, a caster like walking around with like five or six blades from allies who've died, and they're like. Wait a minute! I don't want to be in your party. Like people keep dying I, around you. I, I, w- I would have to say that the the evocativeness of that and, and like like the story potential. Like, what if you were using it with a blade, like you know Bob's blade, and you sort of keep using? Hey, this is my go-to thing, right? Because I don't want to have to keep picking up with my dick. But the more you use it, like in the story, as like a GM, like my GM brain goes through. It's like, oh, maybe he it actually ties him to 
the world and you can sort of interact like you know he's like hey i'm doing the thing it was like you know i'd like to rest or you know or whatever yeah, it is. The, the spirit or, of I bob still, is pissed because he just wants to be be left or, alone you know or, or, or he finally like you know after a few uses he's just like hey if you're bringing me back in this thing i have this incomplete like i have this scene that i really wanted to mm. do that i never got a chance to do can you help me right you know it's like you could you could spin that off into like a gazillion different sure like, cool story that's you know that that with no you know without having to change anything mechanically um and, and yeah like there are a lot of spells in here that i'm like that's really cool and evocative and i kind of want to do that as a, a a character and that was one of them i was like just the notion that you're carrying around the weapons of your dead allies so that they can aid you in your battle against the evil. Mm. That story right there is awesome to me. Sure. I'm, I'm for it, yeah. Um, there are a bunch of curses in here. Like, there are actually a remarkably large number of curses in here. Um, they do have some ninth level spells in here that are interesting. Uh, and... You know, when when you're dealing with like the tie-in spells, you're like, well, okay, there's wish. Why are you not casting wish? Hmm. <laughs> and it could be. Oh, I'm sorry, I finished. No, no, go ahead. I I, I could be wrong, but I think some of these may also be. Uh, yeah. So that spell wasn't in the OGL. So let's go ahead and reskin it into something that fits here so that we can have that spell. Sure. Uh, and so there's, I think there's some of these that'll be just, if yeah. you're using the player's handbook, they're not going to be, uh, like black ribbons. I'm pretty sure is arms of Hadar, but, um, but without the squelchy abomination stuff, mm. but, um, uh, hey, not in the OGL. So if you're using the player's handbook, also there may be some overlap. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, but you know if they if they just set it up so that you don't even need the player's handbook, you can just run spells with this book and don't even worry about it. That you know. Uh, makes here's a here's another good one. I love this. Just from a here's a weird niche that you wouldn't have thought of as a spell. And they, they, they created the spell for it, Legend Killer. You tap into the life force of a creature that is capable of performing legendary actions. When you cast a spell, the target creature must make a successful constitution save or lose the ability to take legendary actions. Mm, wow. That's a that's a boss fight change. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, that's... Although, yeah, although that's also potentially game breaking like that yeah. if i don't know that's coming as a dm like that can ruin my fun real fast oh it's mm -hmm. the 7th level spell it's it's a high end it's it's high end but but yeah. the the legendary action as a dm and this is the dm reviewing a a player option a player book right um but as a dm like you sometimes throw the solo big bad or the big bad with a couple lieutenants or whatever, and it works okay because they get all these this suite of actions, right? Layer actions and right. legendary actions and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly you take that away, and you've basically turned my solo into a regular mook, you know? Um, yep. So, so I mean, DMs 
be aware of what uh, spells you approve right. before you, before they they go on the character sheet. So sure, yeah, yeah, and and that's and that's why that's why I sort of wince at the seven. It's like it's like stuff like that where you're just like, you know, I, I know whenever I will introduce. Uh, stuff like this, and they're like, I, I end up, I end up having to go through it as much as the players, because I'm just like looking for those, all those like crazy interactions and stuff, and it's kind of a burden a little, a little bit. Like even if there's cool, and there's cool stuff to find in there, but you have to like, you, you you for your first few passes, you can't even look at the cool stuff. You have to go, hey, what? Where's the broken crap? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't or know that it's broken. broken. I just, it's just, or, yeah, it's, or, it's or a game changer. Breaking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's something you should be aware of if you're the GM and you're running the the game. You need to know: Does that player have this spell? Because if he right. does, I need to plan for it. Yeah. And I um, can even see like adding some material, a special material components for it or whatever. Like you need to have like a piece of the blood or the body of the creature or whatever well, to well, prepare this, it. And... This goes back to the rituals. Actually, there'll be a killer ritual. Right. Sure. Right. But, and it's a it's a it, the material components a thousand gold piece uh, worth of uh, 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 like text describing the target. Uh, so at the point that that because okay so that 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 fits what I'm talking about right so yeah. so you need to have some specific information so you have to have sought this out and sure. at the point that you have gone through the quest to seek this out then the DM knows what's coming. Right, and they right. can they can plan for it accordingly. I, I have less problem with that now. So I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. good. You're not just gonna like collect that off camera or whatever. Oh, I've now I've got these pages. I'm good, right? Uh, no, no, that's a quest. Like you got to go through yeah. a thing and prepare for the. You know, I'm gonna sure. take down Strahd. Fine, but you have to do the work to get this to to, to function to take down Strahd. Uh, and meanwhile, that's like okay, great. Now I know that when you, you have the final encounter with Strahd, like. Have his small army of backup, you know, <laughs> so so that he's not so so hamstrung. Um, Can we talk about how there's a first level spell to uh, uh, make a five foot step happen? That's oh. pretty. What? Uh, which one is that? Uh, hmm. Just positioning. You cast it on an ally. They move five feet and don't provoke opportunity attacks, and it's physical, so it's not like a teleport. Hmm. Hmm. I've seen a okay. babies will do that, but it's, that, it's a bonus action. So, sure. so, so that's cool. It's like, huh? That's fascinating. I'm still trying to. Find, what do you have the page number handy? I'm trying to find yeah, it. Yeah. Um. It's uh. Uh. Well, I didn't. Okay. It's um. One forty-eight. 148, okay. Let me turn the mini pages of my PDF. The very first page of spell descriptions. Hmm. Okay. Adjust positioning, yeah. So, first level, bonus action. You you give a willing creature a five-foot step, basically, yeah? I mean, that's... I suppose that's fine. Um, I I should add add something that that is a corollary to that spell. There's a cantrip. Misstep. You gesture at the target, you can see if the target fails a wisdom saving throw, it uses a reaction to move five feet mm. in a direction you dictate. 
That's a new provoking an attack of opportunity. It does not provoke an opportunity attack. But it's it's about manipulating the battlefield and whatever. Like I can see it, but it it is fairly unusual for a spell, especially at cantrip level, to use another creature's actions to to eat up there. Like I can see easily doing that just so that they've used their reaction, and now I can walk past that leisure and not take opportunity attacks. That was my thinking as well. Yeah. There was a, a, and there's a cantrip, the name of which I'm forgetting at the moment, where um, I think it's a save and it uh, eats up their opportunity attack if they fail the save. Mm. Well, they eat up the reaction if they fail the save. So I don't think that's unheard of. Yeah. But, but the positioning stuff, oh, it prevents them from taking reactions because they're slowed. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the positioning stuff is the first thing I've seen in here that makes me go, oh, that's kind of fourth edish. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very much a like let's manipulate the battlefield and consider where we are on the map sort of sure. mentality. Sure. Um, the, it, I don't it think should... that's a bad thing. It's just no, no. It's, it's just it's a thing. So I, yeah. I I I liked it, and uh, yeah, the 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 the. The notion of uh, being uh, using spells and other abilities to move people around, uh, I got sort of slowly de-emphas- sort of de-emphasized in Five E when it came out, and I'm I'm glad to see some of it coming back. I'm not a guy who plays with minis as a general rule, right? But uh, I, I do I do like the the notion of of, of movement and, and state. Uh, changes as abilities uh, just because it gives you more things that you can do to people well I, I like I like having that style of play supported like right. like so so you know that's another situation where I hope the players in the DM are talking so that you know what kind of game you're getting into if the DM's like oh no I'm gonna run everything mostly theater of the mind then maybe these spells work out okay you know you can you can sort of theater of the mind these these effects. But sure. maybe you say, you know what? I, I'm not really going to be able to use them mm. to the maximum ability that they're mm. that they're meant for. So let's just not not go that route this time. So um, mm. yeah, I mean, I think that's all fine. Uh, any other last thoughts on any spells that stand out to you? There is a spell that has an exclamation point in the name. Well, that's always a good sign. It the uh, the the spell is not this day. Exclamation point! Uh huh. I feel yeah. like it, I feel like it could have been uh, uh, "You shall not pass," and it would have been the same, right? Uh, you mark the target's <laughs> body with a unique rune that represents their fate. The rune protects against death from e- either a specific damage type (slashing, poison, fire, radiant, etc.) or category of creature (giant, beast, elemental, monstrosity, so on) that must be named when the spell is cast. So it's, so it's, a, it's your way of saying, "Hey, this is not how you die today." Yeah. So, so let's picture that fight with Strahd. You're getting ready for that fight with Strahd. Okay, this guy is the only guy who can do blah to Strahd. Right. So we're gonna cast this on this guy and name Undead. vampires. Yeah. <laughs> he is not dying to vampires. Right. 
<laughs> that's when the henchman comes out. Yeah. Oh no, the zombie got him, or the rocks fell on his head. <laughs> the actual game mechanical effect is that they get advantage on saving throws uh, against uh, anything involving that creature or that form of damage, including death saves. Great. So does that wow. mean? Does that mean if if Strahd hit you once in the fight that you get advantage on all the death saves because? Some of what's making you do the death saves is the three points of damage he did to you on round one. I think that's unclear. I think that, yeah, some, there's some DM call there. <laughs> yeah, there's some DM call, but the duration of the spell is 24 hours. Wow. So, what level yeah, is it? Fifth. That's not bad. Yeah. But, but it's, one those, it's one of those, rune, it's one of those rune spells, right? Yeah, it's a rune spell, and you can only have one on at a time. Right. So, you can't go into a fight like. I've got one of these for zombies and one of these for vampires and one of these for lightning. So right. I'm good. Right. No. Okay. Uh, well, we've talked a lot of, uh, about uh, everything, but go ahead, Rabbit. You got one more thought? Yeah. So uh, I, I, I will point out that there are a couple of things that will probably be er- uh, errated in the future. Um, like... Uh, Flickering Fate, which has a range of touch. It allows you to see a little bit in the future, and then it says when the spell is cast, all other creatures within range make saving wisdom saving throws without defining um. what that exactly means. Um, right. There's a couple of things like that. It's not egregious by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it's, given that these were all lifted from the Deep Magic, I imagine that's where all the spells came from, was the Deep Magic products. Um, you'd think they've, they've already gone through a round or two. Um, I'm kind of surprised they, they, that, that kind of stuff wasn't caught. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, just, you know, it's a thing. I'm sure that Cobalt will catch and review when they get an opportunity. They do have, uh, after this, some monsters and magic items. Yeah, there's a little bit. A there's a little bit in the appendix for of monsters, magic items, uh, some conditions, that kind of stuff. Mostly stuff that supports other things that are there. Like so, if yeah, like things if, you could summon. Yeah, if a spell said you can summon this kind of thing, but it's not a monster manual sort of thing, then then they gave you the stats for it, right? Uh, right. Or or um, like you mentioned the the one rune uh, that's the first rune listed that lets you make an elk horn rod. Okay, but what the heck's an elk horn rod? Well. Here's the two magic items that were mentioned in situations like that. Uh, right. So there's an Elkhorn Rod and the other one, right? And some mundane items and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's mostly just stuff to cover the things they talked about. And and honestly, to bring in some of those Northland sort of Viking conditions, like, right? You know, so the conditions are like uh, snow blindness and frostbite hyperthermia. Sure. Um, which is very much a, well, if you're going to run a Viking-ish campaign or go into the Northlands of, of Midgard, the, these are some conditions that aren't really covered in the in normal D anD D that are a little more specific to that. Thing. Okay. They also have some horses, like and, they have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, different breeds of horses. Yes, they do. <laughs> which uh, is interesting, and they have little special abilities on some of them. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're mostly just, I mean, they don't have stats for them really at all. It's just sort of some background and then an occasional like, oh, yeah, and this one can also do this thing once every now and then. Yep. So, yeah. 
So, so we went over an hour again <laughs> on part two, <laughs> uh, but it makes sense. We covered three times the amount of material than we did in part one. Uh, last thoughts on Hero's Handbook, uh, you know, that you want people to know. It makes me re- actually really, uh, I, I haven't read the world book there, but it actually makes me really interested um, to actually go dig into the world book. Like I would, it, it makes me interested enough to like uh, see about uh, running a thing. I think there's uh, a lot of great, um, it's evocative of the world, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a huge thing, I think. Uh, especially for player material, so they get a sense of things. Uh, and then also, uh, there's I think there's generally enough stuff in here that you can mine for other stuff that it would not be like if you weren't going to play Midgard, uh, but you were interested in some like other cool options. I, I, I mean, just we spent two ep- episodes talking about all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of material in here. Um, that can be used for your game. So, mm-hmm. well, and some of that is like Wizards of the Coast has put out similar books of here's a bunch of players' options, right? And we didn't spend two episodes talking about that because Wizards has a tendency to layer it with a lot more lore. Like the lore is not in this book for the most part, right? It's just here's your your options. It's mechanics, 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 and it's a lot of crunch. And there's a lot of like interesting flavor to a lot of that, but they didn't layer in like you know five pages of lore about clockwork magic to to make all of that make sense. You're expected to sure. to find that elsewhere. Uh, and the you know this was part of the Kickstarter the uh, the world book which was also part of it mm-hmm. uh, is 466 pages long. It's got lots of lore. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, we, we reviewed the the first version of the Midgard campaign guide um, when it came out years ago. Um, and my, my overarching impression of that is like, oh my gosh, this setting is so dense, I kind of don't know where to start, you know? Yeah. There's just a ton to Midgard. Um, so, and I haven't dug into the next one yet, and maybe in a few months we'll have a chance and we'll, we'll get, a, get to come back to Midgard and, and review that. Uh, but I also know that like we need lots of time to really dig through it and comb through it and find all the bits and pieces and whatever because it's if it's like the other one like it's going to be so dense my head's going to be spinning after a month of trying to read it. Yeah, uh, uh, I want. I I mean, I I don't have time for as many games as I want to run, mm-hmm. but this. This game, the this setting has gotten on my list of, oh, this is a place I want to run in. Mm-hmm. I, the, the, what I've been advocating for from Kobold for a long time, and I've I've told um, the Kobold guys about this. What I really want them to do is do a a large sort of adventure path, like a, a one mm-hmm. to twenty adventure that that is also sort of a travelogue through the whole setting. That yeah. kind of introduces you to the little the little vignettes and, and, and locations and cool things about each one. Um, you know, I think that would would like that's something I would totally run, and that way I wouldn't have to like feel like I need to dive into the deep lore of each of, of the whole setting. You know, like right. they can introduce it that way. They did yeah, recently. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brett. Oh, um, you were following logically, and I was going back so continue to talk <laughs> uh they did recently announce that they were partnering up with one of the D streamers yep. 
to do a uh, a stream that's set in Midgard. So that may be an entry point for people who mm-hmm. are trying to get a feel for the setting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I agree strongly with Quinn and the, he most of my feelings about it. Um, mostly, uh, there's a lot here that I want to mine for design ideas and for uh, my game running ideas. Um, pre- pretty darn happy I picked it up. Um, All right, well, uh, unless there's any really urgent last thoughts, we have talked for almost an hour and a half, and it is past my bedtime, and I recorded my bedroom, so I'm sure my wife's not happy about that. <laughs> so any <laughs> any really important pressing last thoughts before, uh, before I close it out? Mm, not okay. really. I think, I think we've covered it pretty well in two episodes, right? Uh, sure. so, so at this point, I'm going to go ahead and say that's the end of this episode. I want to thank uh, a lot of people. I want to thank uh, EasyRollerDice.com for supporting us uh, in this episode. I also want to thank Jeremiah. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, JeremiahMcCoy.com uh, is where I tend to uh, put most of my stuff. Uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter as Tech Noir. And Rabbit, where can people find you if they want to, to, to tell you about how awesome you were on these episodes? Uh, Rabbit Stuttered on G+, and uh, deckofmanythings.blogspot.com. Uh, there you go. And Quinn Murphy with his triumphant return to the Tome Show. Where can people find you? Wait, wait, did I triumph? Did yes. Even... That's awesome. No, nice. you've, okay. you've, you've um, totally triumphed. Okay, I will, I will cash in that. Trial. We we uh, we rode you around the town and held a laurel over your head the whole time. It was great. Well, I think I might I might, I might have done the victory drinking too much because I don't remember that stuff. But I, I'll take that <laughs> triumph now. Um, but uh, so yeah, I uh, am uh, uh, Twitter loudmouth on qh underscore murphy. Uh, talk about game design and all sorts of stuff. Uh, I uh, do RPG writing at thoughtcrimegames.net uh, and. Uh, one of the other major places I also uh, write uh, articles for Magic the Gathering, so uh, dailymtg.com uh, Mothership, and uh, yeah, that's me. Right on. And I also want to thank our patrons from patreon.com slash show. people like Keith, Brian, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, Jeremiah McCoy, who's on this episode, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark Richmond, and our new patrons Craig Klusterman and Taco Man Gaming. Uh, as well as everybody who supports us by shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild from our affiliate links at thetomeshow.com, where you can also find other great Tome Show shows. If you want to get a hold of me or the show generally, email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can also reach out to Tracy and tell her we hope her voice is back. She is at Sarah Darkmagic. Uh, and you can tweet the show. It is at the Tome Show. Rabbit, you had something? We missed you, Tracy. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and call that episode 303, where we have finally figured out how to become heroes. In this episode of... The Tome. The Tome. The Tome. The Tome. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to. Like me, you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, you don't think we fancy. Let me teach you about class.
in the shoes. My character's shoes, cause they full of the brim. With maxed out sass, out to up in my DM. He think he in charge, we don't worry about him. Simple when he out to get us, be like Jack the Swim. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC generator. Just cause she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying, cause it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You wanna join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A, good S, D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario, then he or she asks, Where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo, we could play forever. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to. You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to, like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to, like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me. I'm on the wall.